Welcome to another episode. So excited for this. We are going to be joined by Jennifer Klein Shirnoff. She's a seasoned energetic leader with a passion for building. She brings more than 20 years of experience in financial services, education, and technology, B2B, 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 and B2C companies, and has held a variety of leadership roles in marketing, customer experience, and customer support, and product management. The last four years, she helped build AI products and services in conversational AI at LifePerson and Ada Support. Her superpower is recognizing patterns and helping transform organizations by connecting the people, processes, and experience and products that make those organizations exceptional. Stay tuned for this episode with Jennifer Klein Shirnoff. We'd like to thank our current sponsor of the month, Aircall. Aircall.io. Go check them out. Love what they do. They also just uh, reached 100 million in revenue, which is incredible. Uh, we partner with them. They're a big part of our ecosystem. Aircall is a cloud-based call center and phone system of choice for modern businesses. A voice platform that integrates seamlessly with popular productivity and help desk tools. Aircall was built to make phone support easy to manage and accessible, transparent, and collaborative. Aircall believes that a great conversation is the most powerful way to communicate with customers, prospects, candidates, and colleagues. We tend to agree. They are as equally invested with voice and sound as we are. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Nice to be here. I got special permission from Jennifer to call her by Jen. So I'm going to, throughout the show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Jen. But for those listeners out there, you got to get her permission. So Jen, I was just thinking about this the other day. And this is what was going through my mind is the psychology behind what occupies the most space in our brain. Is it the positive experience? Is it the negative experience? Or is it the resolution of the experience? And I, I like the psychology behind that is we gravitate as humans towards negative because right. that's part of our nature, right? We gravitate towards negative. However, the moments that we remember the most in our lives are more positive when they invoke some type of emotion that is deeper than just surface level. When I think of like the resolution of how this kind of stuff creates a psychological moment for us, I do think that the experience is deeper and more meaningful and emotional because you've gone from one side of the spectrum to the other in the middle, and then you're, then you're kind of going all over. So I think, I think for me, I remember the moments the most that have a resolution. It's one thing to get the experience wrong, but it's a whole nother thing to act on it. And I think that's so rare in today's world that that's why it's so prominent in our minds. It, it fits with that, right? We've talked a lot about the thread between from experience to emotion to memory. And it, it like fits with that whole framework also. So we all come into a, a situation with a brand with a certain expectation, right? And I think what's interesting is when, when you have those wow moments in that experience, 
those are memorable. So not necessarily turnaround, but they beat your expectation, right? Or the converse where you had a, you know, they, they didn't in the, in the reverse, right? You had a very high expectation and it was really, really low. And then why is that? That turnaround, it's the recovery of that that's most memorable to my next best action. Like, would I recommend, you know, this brand of hotel again um, or seek it out or not, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't, what was interesting is like, it didn't matter about the price. It didn't matter about the location. It didn't matter about, you know, all these like What it mattered was when I had this yucky thing that happened, how was I treated and was it resolved quickly? And like, was there empathy in that moment, you know, with that, with that person? And what's interesting is like taking this like an automation perspective, like how does an AI really do that <laughs> effectively? And can it? Is it even realistic to think that one should? Like, should we be using automation for like recovery slash moments that actually matter or not? Or what is the role of AI in that? If you're working backwards, and I love the way that you frame this around the expectations going in, because people people do have expectations and the expectations do vary. And so often the customer service experience, the expectation is so low and the expectation of an automation that you hit is so low that like what is the bar that really needs to be cleared to where like you've delivered a turnaround experience just by helping somebody complete whatever it is they're calling for in a timely fashion should there be a bar is really my question like i don't think there needs to be a bar i think it's so unique to the brand right like if i i am a raving fan of the utah jazz so my experience that I expect with them is much higher than the experience I expect if I were, even though they're completely unrelated, but the experience that I would expect with a completely different industry, like let's say my bank. Mm-hmm. However, one is completely unrelated to something that is a necessity of my life. Like the Utah Jazz are not a necessity of my life, even though I, right. I claim that it is. Um, <laughs> it's not. But my finances and my money is, and I think that's where the bar changes and raises is it's this thing, whatever it is, the product that you're servicing, does it have a deep connection to people and their life? And some products genuinely do. It's why people are more upset when they call the IRS than any other place yeah it's sort of it's super interesting like i i've been thinking about this and just going through like daily life i have a higher expectation of the end-to-end experience i'm going to have with a digital brand than i do with a legacy brick and mortar brand like broadly speaking i do right Mm -hmm. um but this is where the like delight moment continues to be like Back to this topic. So I'll give another example. Do you know the company Stitch Fix? They send you clothes, like personalization. I am a giant fan of Stitch Fix, okay? Shout out Stitch um, Fix. Shout, shout, but here's here's my like here's my like cautionary tale story, all right, about this expedition. So I love the brand. I've personally had a good experience. They just launched or recently launched like a men's Stitch Fix for men, mm-hmm. all right? And if you know my... My husband is not into fashion at all. He's like, that's not his jam. 
But he said, said, hey, I need some new clothes. And I was like, for Father's Day, I was like, oh, I'm going to get you this, you know, a Stitch Fix box. So to set it up, I go on my desktop, I create an account for him. And then I have to answer an, an exceedingly long, do you like this? Yes or no? Thumbs up, thumbs down to train the model on what I think my husband would like. Okay. Like way long. Like 15 minutes long, okay? Wait a minute. No joke. I'm minutes. Okay. So like, James, I'm in now. I'm like, oh, I can't give up, you know? So I'm like, answer all the questions. Okay. So I take all this time. Finally, I schedule the box be delivered. Box gets, so that's all digital. Then I go to my app. So I have the Stitch Fizz app. I can monitor when it's coming. I set the date. I want to change the date. All self-service tools. Awesome. Great. Things are looking good. Now I get like the surprise of the box that's coming. So I don't know exactly what's coming. Box comes. I kid you not, four of the five pieces in the box were things I said thumbs down to in the personalization of the experience. No So like, way. promise. And Andy, my husband, was like, what the heck, Jen? Like, do you know me at all? <laughs> <laughs> Which is another podcast on like how well you know your spouse. But like, I was like, no, I do know my spouse. And I was like, trust me. I said, no, I said thumbs down to that. So he's like, he's like, I don't get it. Like, I thought this was going to be personalized. And I was like, I know. So, okay. Now I have to go and have a customer service moment of returning uh -oh. or, you know, five of the five items that just came in this box. Right. So one would think that would be super easy to do online. One would be wrong. <laughs> so I do end up getting through, but I have to like, you know, do all these things. And then the worst part is I have to go return it at the post office. I'm trusting the system that my money is going to get refunded, that it's all going to make it back, et cetera, et cetera. But I can tell you, I'm not likely to use this service again, right? Because I had such a bad experience. And they asked me, survey-wise, like, well, how was your experience? And I was like, it was bad. Like, either your model's broken, you didn't look at my data, or your stylist went off the rails and, like, decided to do something entirely different based on, you know, I don't know, but something is broken in the process and you let me down. Now, I was just going to say, like, the recovery moment could have been, we'll give it, you know, $1,000 to come back, whatever, some monetary incentive to come back in. Didn't gap in at all. Or, or sent you a free box or something, right? Understanding that you were a power a free user. Box. No. So exactly. Now, or if it's AI and it's learning, why not say, hey, we're going to send you a new box every month until we get it right. And once we get it right, then we're going to know. And then what? Then you pay, right? Like on whose dollar? Yeah, whose dime? Exactly. Like, I, I, whose dime and whose time? Whose time? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. right. Like, exactly. oh, yeah. if you want to return our product from our bad experience, you need to go to the post <laughs> office. Of course, right? We, we've all we've all had these moments before. And not to pick on Stitch Fix here, but right, you are in that brilliant position, Jen, where like you've been on the other side. You have been the experience maker. You've been the one that controlled this. Yeah. So you have now felt the consumer pain, but you also like understand how these things work on the other side. What do you think went wrong? Like, what, where did this fall down for Stitch Fix, right? They're a pretty large, pretty prominent tech-forward brand, right? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So my first instinct was the data that I provided in that first upfront 15 minutes wasn't considered in the picking process. And I don't know why that is. Because my understanding, and I could be, this is where I don't know the actual inner but my understanding is you use the AI 
to train and provide that personalized experience. But then a human on the brand side is actually doing the, the selecting. Maybe that's actually not true. Maybe they fully automated the whole gig and something went awry. I don't know. So this yeah. plays into the idea of customer experience being a cross-functional team within an organization. And, yes. and the idea of like, I guess on one hand, like what information it does customer experience, like what information are they privy to? And then also what degree of influence do they have over the decisions that are being made inside of these other departments where it's like the support team ends up dealing with this issue that really was because there was just not like, it was not a cohesive experience going through. And right. it's like, okay, like if CX is responsible for the consistency of, of what's being delivered to the customer, then what would they have needed as a CX department in order to be able to spot this gap that was happening in the experience, right? So from a like procedure operational, yeah. like from uh, the mind of an exec, like how would you think about, right? Like, okay, we've identified a problem. Let's say they saw your survey results and they were sitting on the other side. They did their weekly yes. review. Okay, this is a problem. We saw this pop up with 25 customers. What are you changing from a like process standpoint, from a tech standpoint? Like, how are you saying, okay, this happened once, it's not gonna happen again? I can tell you, like the reason I actually did provide that direct survey result was because I want them to succeed, right? <laughs> we all not we don't always do that as like end consumers, right? But um, ninety six percent do don't. is well, first of all, that, that's yeah, true. exactly ninety six percent with bad experiences right. just don't say anything. Um, but they always tell a friend about it. That's <laughs> 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 experience. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, candidly, what I would do is well, first I would I would ensure that it wasn't a one off. Right. Maybe, maybe it was a one-off, but to your point, like, let's assume it wasn't, let's assume that this is a systemic problem, that there is a disconnect between the algorithm and product selection or product picking. Right. Well then you, yeah, you swarm a team on it because it absolutely impacts revenue. And then back to the, like, what offer could have been made? This is where I think tying into your point around cross department, you know, do you have a, do you have a loyalty team or a retention team? That Or do you empower customer support to give those offers? I mean, a few lives ago, um, when I was working in a, the banking situation, like part of my job was to design these offers for frontline support people. So if you were a teller in a bank or a contact center, you know, rep um, or handling email support, you all had the same set of tools based on that customer profile to offer them something, right? And test those offers. Sometimes it was a recovery retention moment. But most of the time, it was just a, we're trying to cross-sell, upsell, right? Mm. So my sense is, is that that's an immature practice. I think the financial services company I worked at was ahead of its time. Sometimes you see it, but um, now it's more like customers like you are buying X, right? It's, it's less in that moment that matters that we talked about before. So do you think the fix to Sucky is unpacking those processes and diving deep into them with a with a team, I genuinely believe that the only way that automation truly can work and be powerful is you you have the humans behind it that are testing it and building it and optimizing it. Even machine learning itself needs humans to test models and teach it. It can only learn from itself if you're giving it input, which means a human has to give that input. Is the fix to Sucky this like breaking down the processes and, and just that bridge of humans and the tech together? 
Yeah. So I think the first step to fixing sucky is thoughtful experience design from the very beginning. Uh-huh. It's being deliberate around and deeply understanding every customer touch point in a particular part of that use case. Like that is step one. And it's become, and, and, the, and the paradigm has shifted, accelerated by the pandemic in some cases, in some cases not, of thinking beyond a single channel or beyond offline only or beyond online only. This, the idea of designing experiences that are the integration of online to offline, right? Or offline to online and how that experience actually flows. And then how that, so like first step one is like designing the experience you want. And then actually like having the data and the systems and the tools and the people and the processes and the measurement capabilities to like deliver on that experience. And then knowing when you're not to the feedback loop, right? Knowing when it's not working or when it is working. And I think what I've learned in the last, you know, 20 something years of doing this is so few brands have internal expertise of like actually how to do this. Oh, yeah. Like they don't know. And they buy, sorry, but I'll just say it. They buy the vendor, SaaS vendor, conversation AI, like, you know, marketing pitch of our bots will work out of the box, low code, no code. You don't really need to do anything. But that's not answering the question of like, well, what is the, ex- the conversational design experience you're having even just narrowly within your bat? And then it opens up a whole series of questions on what of all the conversations that you're having with your consumers as a brand, which ones are appropriate for automation and which ones aren't? Uh-huh. Um, and then designing the experience, like as we talked about, because I'll be the first to say as much as I love automation and digital first, there are certain use cases that are better served with phone. I think those experiences that are best like phone first have a sense of urgency or immediacy to them. When somebody is contacting support for a brand, it is a task on somebody's to-do list and the goal is always speed to completion, right? So yes, yeah. there, there are burning fires. There are, we had somebody on the show and they were talking about like they needed to get somebody to the emergency room at a hospital, right? That is a different level of burning fire than like stitch fix, messed it up. To me, the goal is always speed and ease. And then it's a question of how you deliver against it. And I think that a great phone voice experience will always be the fastest, right? That is, right? That's why you have big tech in the whole world, like investing. That's why you spam zero. Yeah, exactly. The, the promise of voice as an interface is that it taps into the inherent speed and ease advantage that it has over any other form of human communication. The problem has been, of course, that right the expectations based on the previous experiences that have been delivered when people go to the phone is that like you sit on hold forever and it's like been this horrible experience which leads people into different directions. So I guess there's the like, how should things theoretically work? And then there is the rubber meets the road today in the marketplace. Like how have consumer behaviors been trained based on like the experiences that are actually being delivered in these different channels? I personally hate the phone. I I really do. Like I hate calling it. And I think there's a lot of people out there that don't like calling it, but there is one thing that I hate more than that. And that is when brands hide their phone so that I actually don't even have the option when something is 
you know, in my mind, a critical moment that I actually need a call. And I do think that there is an opportunity that can exist through a phone channel and through voice where automation can solve easier tasks, even, even though you have to call to have those handled. I just don't think any brand has the right to take away those preferences. And I think when you take away the right of a customer to have those preferences, you are ruining the customer experience. Is there credo to a strategy of, we do not have the budget, we do not have the technology, we do not have the ability to boil the ocean and make beautiful fire everywhere. So instead of being subpar in five places, we're going to be great in one place. Well, I mean, this is happening, right? It's happening with brands that have doubled down on trying to do FAQs and long tail like information pages on how to do certain things and even how to. I don't videos. know if that's doubling down on any channel. I don't know if that can even be called a channel. It, it, it <laughs> is though, because you know what surfaces it, right? It's, it's, it's online chat. That's what surfaces it. It's the chat bots and the automation that's done through there. And instead of sending people like they, they make the, the human not even accessible, right? Like, oh, I can't call, call somebody or I can't talk to a human. Instead, you have to go through the FEQ process. All you're saying is, right, people are using this opportunity of like focus and minimization to just like hide and avoid and avoid and avoid and like really not support you anywhere. But what if it was an experience of we're forcing you to do live chat. We're forcing you to do it inside of business hours, but we're going to have somebody, we're going to have maybe a nice AI experience, but then we are going to have somebody there in real time to answer you and to solve your problem in a like high quality, delightful way. They yeah. will be there. There is a great experience in one channel, but it's only one channel. I actually think that's okay because it comes back to my point on the, the brand is being deliberate and thoughtful around the experience that's being delivered to the end consumer. So they've essentially created an elegant experience in one channel and they're knocking it out of the park in whatever that is. Now, is that going to make all of their consumers, you know, maybe that that'd be their preference? No. But if you can optimize one experience or one channel, great. Then like, what's the next channel that you're going to go do the same thing in, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like a set it and forget it strategy. So, and this is what you've seen with the adoption of conversational AI tools in the last five years is the reason why most brands started with web, like web chat, was they wanna to try to figure that out first before they went into the you know social channels like Facebook Messenger, Instagram, WhatsApp, SMS, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's get this right. And I think what happened actually though is more of what, what you were saying, Brian, which is they tried to do everything because it was trendy and they were looking where their consumers were. Omni-channel. And rather than, yeah, omni-channel, rather than like actually doing a great job of designing experiences that made sense for their brand, they like threw a bunch of stuff at the wall and turned on all these channels and have had, and have instead created a disorienting or at, you know, best, less than optimal experience rather than optimization. I'm hopeful that consumers as a collective are going to start being like, this is not okay. It's like, we demand change. Like we demand better things. All right. I'm and going to make a demand right now. Our, yeah. What's your demand? <laughs> for all my fellow marketers out there, this is for you. Facebook, I hope you're listening. <laughs> Answer a fucking phone. 
please, in the name of all that is that is holy, pick up the phone and have a support line. Even if it's not a phone, have an email. Even if it's not an email, have a freaking text. If it's not a text, have a chat. Have something that someone can talk to you and someone on the other end can talk to me back. I kind of agree with you on the let's make one channel great. The caveat that I would put on it is who's choosing the channel, right? Mm. Like this is, this is one of these things that we've seen, right? I think that a lot of the rise of live chat and, and some of these other things and, and the like, let's channel shift people, right? Let's take people that are calling in and let's try and push them into other channels. That's very much so driven by the boardroom of that company looking at their financial statement. But if you're a brand today and you're going to take a strategy of we're going to focus on being great in one channel or, or in two channels and, and you're going to put restrictions on yourself, but then optimize to be great in those moments. What I would yeah. say is you should not from the boardroom make the decision around what those channels are going to be. And you should go through the process of learning from your customers. So, I mean, there's a few considerations, like in terms of what channel to choose. And some of it certainly comes with, well, where are your consumers today, right? Certainly, that's a, that would be a lens. But I don't think that's the full picture because like, I think what's interesting particularly is I have this whole thing on like, I actually, one of the things that I think is one of the questions, James was, you know, what do you think is controversial or whatever? So I <laughs> hate email from a support perspective. I think email is the literally worst support channel that it's the, it's the original async support channel. Okay. It is the worst. All right. In my opinion. Because it's the slowest. It's slow. It's opaque. You have no idea what happens when you send the email. Did someone get it? Did someone not get it? (laughs) No, right. No idea. No idea. This is all true. Um, You don't know if it's even the right channel. So it's like confusion over like, I've said, how many times have you sent an email to a brand? You're like, this may not even be appropriate question for you, but like, I'm at my, I don't know what to do now. Like mm-hmm. I've tried everything else. Like, and it just makes the brand, in my opinion, look like archaic. Like I am advising actually like this right now. So I would not tend to lead with it all. However, I would lead with phone in many cases where, and then, you know, use like AI or automation to support it. If that brand's like, again, looking at like where, what do they do? What industry are they in? Like what types of use cases are they supporting, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But my point is, is there's some considerations at the brand of like channel choice. And some of it's driven by where consumers are. A lot of it is actually driven about the to be experience. Like what future experience, what, and it's not just like the support use case, right? I think this is like the macro point we're all getting to is support is a part of a broader consumer experience, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a digital brand, everything in my experience is digital, except for support, which is email or phone. Like, does that, does that make sense? Like you're forcing your consumers to channel switch when they, that's not their expectation coming in. There needs to be the cohesiveness and there needs to be the ability from a CX perspective to take that bird's eye view over the the entirety of it from start to finish in order to, right, 
deliver against the brand promise and and the expectations that that the consumers have as they go down the journey. So you can get all kinds yep. of fits. Exactly. Ultimately, it really just matters that you provide a way for somebody to fast track to get their answer quicker. Like it all kind of right. boils down to that, right? There are things that I have called a support line and it's not been urgent. And I have waited two and a half hours to talk to somebody because I've, it's right. not, it hasn't been urgent, which is, means right. I've waited that long, but yeah, it's right. been right. urgent enough to where I've needed to talk to somebody about it. But can't you, right, in theory, great fast service can be provided in every channel, right? Even the email example, right? It's possible that you could, you could be an email, you could send an email and they could get a reply back to you that happened as fast as like an auto reply for somebody being out of office, right? If they were really there, they had some great email automation AI on the other side, a seamless transition to people that were ready and there in real time behind them. Absolutely. Like you can deliver a, an immediate, um, right? You can deliver immediate resolutions through any channel. True, you can. I mean, that's an operational excellence problem to solve, right? <laughs> it's not hard. It's like not actually hard to have like a great email experience. Just like brands don't because it's like seen as like either a legacy channel or there's an expectation as a consumer that if I'm sending an email, I don't expect an immediate response. You could go through four or five emails and then at the fourth email be like, you know what? I think it, I, can we just get on a phone, phone call, mm. right? Oh yeah. Oh, so then what? And that's what I mean that's by like, I know, yeah. I know y'all like hate the omni channel thing, but. I don't hate well, it. Unless it was a, unless it was a context is maintained. You are calling directly to me, the person that has been responding to you over email. And right. It's like, if you're, if you're like planning a vacation or something with a friend and you're going back and forth over email and then it's like, all right, like, let's just talk about it. Or like in Slack in a work environment, then it's like, all right, let's just hop on right. a call. Then it's like, okay, let's just resolve this faster by speaking rather than typing. But in that situation, James, like, yeah, if you ended up in like a phone queue, where you have to go back through and repeat those oh, four, oh. that would be horrible, horrible. But that's not unusual. Oh, no, like that's I think normal. that's like kind of the matter. <laughs> that's like today's like okay, we've we have done all this amazing AI. Like that's what I think about all the time. Think about what we've like done as like a tech community. We've done these amazing innovations, and yet ninety-five <laughs> percent of our day-to-day -day interaction with the brand is still these like, I have to repeat myself from, at this point, you don't have like my thumbprint or like my <laughs> voice, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think it's appalling, actually. It's astonishing in 2022 with all of yeah. the amazing things that have been built. Are you talking about technology? Talking about like, it's crazy in 2022, the experience that, the, the norm, the norm of the experience the norm. and just right. how low, right just how low that expectation bar is. But this is my point of like consumers have to demand more. The, the expectation will shift with generations of how they interact with brands. Like my, you know, my Gen Z kids, right? Th this generation that's now, you know, teens and, and, you know, maybe the oldest generation or early 20s have a very, like, they would never, ever, ever even think to pick up the phone. I mean, that's this true, right? Like, what? I can't like text someone or like go online and do that. Like it's the thought of like calling is like terrifying to my teenagers. There's a whole different expectation around, around service. And so I think that 
I think that that will, we will see a forcing function or inflection point. Will there be enough of this like demand that brands will have to think differently about it? And you see brands that are, you're starting to do that. Like mostly retail e-com brands are like, I think at the forefront of this. And then, then we'll start to see it more and more. I mean, so I don't know, but it's certainly not like it, there's not enough pain yet for this to be a major in, in investment point. Right. There's yeah. just the classic idea of people don't really change anything until there's a crisis that forces them to. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and clearly like data is not a strong enough alarm bell, right? For yeah. 15 years, there's been data about customers will leave you if they have You're a bad totally experience, right. blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. clearly data is not enough, right? It's going to need to be a movement that is stronger than that. And that's why it's it's a great opportunity for folks like us to change the way people think about phone and change the way that people think about voice. Because that whole concept of just even voice technology, the very, very beginning was really clunky and no one liked it. And then it changed when Alexa and Google changed people's yeah. minds about it. Yes. And once they changed people's minds about it, now almost none of us operate our day-to-day -day lives without using some sort of voice technology to do a voice search, to find directions, to text our spouse or our kids when we're driving. I mean, hell, that's what a podcast was created for. It's voice. And, and we just don't think about it like that. So I think that the best way to change people's minds about a channel that has been known to be very clunky, like phone, is we have to tell the story on how to do that. And that's what we're going to do. I think there's a big distinction between legacy phone and voice automation. You're totally spot on. Like voice enablement to solve a real problem is a huge, huge opportunity for brands. And like Started in consumer. Let's see which actual brands will lead and crush this channel. That's a nugget. Yeah. We're going to leave with that. Jen, you've been awesome. 